Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and your commodore of cocktails. That's right, it is the season for entertaining and enjoying uh, the warmth of the fire and some friendships and, uh, of course, good food. Uh, and when you're looking for good food, you should always have good wine. And I'm super excited, as I always am, um, for my next guest, my first guest, I should say, Dr. Laura Katena. You've probably seen the name in the uh, wine aisles. Uh, they do a great job uh, producing world-class wines from Argentina. And I've got Dr. Laura Katena online. Hey, Laura. Welcome to Happy Hour. Hi. Hi there. Thank you so much, Christopher. Well, I appreciate you spending this Saturday night with us, and uh, I'm super excited because my my dad's an ear, nose, and throat doctor, my mom is an oral and maxillofacial surgeon, and my sister is in her second year residency as a DO in emergency room. Wow. So so you're the, the rebel of the family. <laughs> I'm the, yeah, I'm the doctor of wine, hopefully someday soon. I'll be sitting... Well, you, you know what, Christopher? Wine was the first medicine ever. Um, that's why there's uh, there's actually quite a few wineries that have been started by doctors like Penfolds, you know, and, and in the olden days, um, there were many doctors who made wine the, the way you made medicine because it cures. Uh, it doesn't necessarily cure everything, but uh, whatever you have, it makes you feel better. <laughs> well, excellent. That's good advice coming from a doctor. Let's talk about you. Um, obviously, you are Argentinian from birth, right? Yes, I was born in Argentina, and uh, I, I, you know, I was born to a, a multi-generation wine family. My winery, Catena Zapata, was started in 1902 by my great-grandfather, who came from Italy, from Le Marche, to Argentina. Ah. And um, he came with, there were all these Italian and Spanish and European immigrants that um, basically multiplied the population many times uh, in the 19th and early 20th century. And one of these people was my great-grandfather who came to Argentina to start a winery because things were so difficult in Europe. Right. We had phylloxera um, going on up there, I'm sure. They had phylloxera. They had, you know, uh, famine. You know, and Argentina is the seventh largest country in the world. We have lots of land. We have basically every possible climate. We have jungles to the north with monkeys. We have penguins to the south. (laughs) And it's this bountiful country, which, you know, the, the, the big complaint of the Argentinians is we have this amazing country with all this natural beauty and resources, yet we keep on going from one economic crisis to another. Right. Um, uh, the but news but anyhow, days. I was born to this wine family, but then I decided to become a doctor. I think that's what you're trying to get at. Um, and partly is because uh, my father, who um, was the third generation of the family, was you know doing quite well selling wine but then we had the military government oh right in, in the 1980s so, and it was quite uh dangerous there was shootings there were bombs there were kidnappings my uncle was kidnapped and my father decided let's leave for a little bit and then that's how we 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 came to berkeley where he was a visiting scholar i ended up you know going to harvard undergrad studied biology stanford med school you know i'm i was 100 percent the doctor track um like like your family members and then uh you know one day uh, but but you know i had been going with my dad to france 
to taste wine. He used to come visit me in college. And, you know, I was 18. Back then in Massachusetts, you could drink at 18. He would make me buy these fancy wines, and we would taste them with Rito really? glasses. Wow. You know, I was drinking first growth in college, you know, which I don't think many kids drink first first growth in college today. No, not but, unless you got so, my dad's cellar. He's got tons of it, and that's what got me into wine. Well, there you go. So, actually, I've talked to many people that that's how they got into wine, because their parents would share, you know, these, these, these really distinctive, special wines. Um, and so I had a love for wine, but I was 100% committed to be a doctor because, you know, I wasn't sure how I could help people with wine. Now I know that I can, not just because wine makes me feel good, but because of, you know, what wine has brought to my region, you know, all the, the, you know, the jobs and, and the financial success of, of my whole region of Mendoza. But, you know, back then I thought, you know, I, I want to, to help people uh, in a more direct way. And well, anyhow, so I was, you know, going into emergency medicine like your sister um, and going down that track. And then one day I, I went to a wine event that my dad said, you have to go because nobody here speaks English well and we need a, a, a good English speaker. <laughs> that it was ruse, a new huh? experience. Okay. And so I went there and I, and I was standing in my little booth and, you know, my table has, you know, a trickle of the occasional person. And then I was looking at the long lines with the French wineries, the Italian wineries, the California wineries, and I realized you know, my God, my dad really needs my help. Uh, my country needs my help. You know, this dream of putting Argentina on the map of fine wine is, is just a dream. Uh, so that's how I started working with my dad and then how I fell in love with wine. And I still practice a little medicine, <laughs> which I still love. But, you know, it's, you mean it's not just prescriptions, devil life. Not just prescriptions for drinking more wine, right? Yeah, no, and and actually, I'm I'm very particular about wine because, um, you know, I think that wine in excess is very bad. You know, it all the the benefits of wine are at moderation. So, right. you know, you have a thirty percent um, decrease in stroke, thirty percent decrease in heart attacks. You have improvement of uh, glucose levels for diabetics. Uh, but if you drink in excess, then you have increase in heart attacks, increase in strokes. You have even increase in some cancers. So, you know, wine needs to be consumed, alcohol in moderation. Right. And that's where I'm a big fan of wine because I think actually people who drink wine as a way of life, you know, with food, you know, with French friends are drinking, hopefully, in moderation. And, and that's the key. I agree. It's always about moderation. And, of course, a designated driver when you're out and about is one of my catchphrases. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I actually think that, um, you know, Uber and Lyft are, are wine drinkers' best friends. I um, I mean, I don't even drink one glass of wine. If, if I'm going to drink at all, I, I take uh, either public transportation or an Uber or a Lyft. Or, you know, there's always some, you know, I've always got some pregnant friend that can drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky you. That's very good. Well, um, let's talk about you're the managing director of Catena Zapata. Um, tell me what that job entails. Well, um, you know, that means that I'm kind of uh, involved in everything. My My great passion are the vineyards. You know, I love um, working on studying the soils in the vineyards, on the expression of each parcel. That That's what I'm most passionate about. And it's super interesting in Argentina because we have these alluvial soils that were formed by the glaciers when they were melted because we're right by the Andes Mountains. Oh. So we have all these different parcels that literally, you know, you, you walk a few steps and you taste the grapes and they taste differently. You know, Malbec, Chardonnay, you know, any variety. And so that's, 
really fun to study, you know, to understand what is the, the true flavor of each parcel. And then the altitude, you know, we are at uh, 5,000 feet elevation. So it's the effect of sun, the effect of climate. Uh, and now we're studying the microbes in the soil. You know, microbes oh, are right. essential for humans. Like we could not live without the microbes. We have more microbial DNA in our body than human DNA. Because the microbes are performing so many jobs in our bodies, from digesting food to protecting us against illness on our skin. Uh, and so in vineyards, it's the same thing. The plants would not survive if the microbes weren't helping them absorb nutrients. So <laughs> that's something that I'm obsessed with. We have an institute called the Catena Institute of Wine where we study uh, our climate. I call it, uh, you know, our vision there is uh, science to preserve nature and culture. I want to preserve the culture of wine, wine drinking, my region of Mendoza, because, you know, we're always getting people trying to, you know, build uh, houses, you know, turn it into urban centers. And we need to preserve that. Uh, and then my other job has to do, you know, with the winemaking, I'm very involved. I, I participate in all the blends. Great. Um, and then I also travel around the world. Uh, as an ambassador, um, I train my team that travels. I manage a, a team uh, that manages the sales. So I am also in, involved in the storytelling. You know, I don't like to call it marketing because it sounds so businessy. <laughs> but I guess that's a little bit yeah, of what I do. Absolutely. I get that part. Yeah. Speak with Laura Catena, yeah. who is so, the uh, doctor at, and managing director of Catena Zapata. Um, c- continue your story, please. Yeah, so so that's pretty much what I do. You know, I, I, I make wine, I talk about wine, and I try to sell enough wine so that I can plant another vineyard. You know, my my, my flaw, you know, if, if you know, if I have an addiction, it's an addiction to, to finding new sites to plant vineyards in. And that's very a very expensive undertaking. Oh, uh, I'm sure. Uh, what's the population of Argentina? So Argentina is about forty-five million. Wow. Okay. So it's it's like the population of Canada. It's actually a pretty close number, All but right. Argentina's smaller than Canada. Sure. And when we think about Mendoza. Mendoza is the capital of Argentina. So actually, the capital of Argentina is Buenos Aires. I'm glad you asked me this question because everybody gets confused. So yes. in Argentina, the capital of each province, and a province is like a state, it has the same name as the province. So. For example, if we were in California and California was a province, the capital of California would be California. It wouldn't be Sacramento. So Mendoza is both a province and it's also the name of the capital of Mendoza. But the actual um, capital of Argentina is Buenos Aires, which is a city where half the population of the whole country lives near that city. Wow. And then it's also a province, so the equivalent of a state. Buenos Aires is both. It's the capital of Argentina. It's the capital of the province of Buenos Aires. And then the name Buenos Aires also refers to the province. And Argentina has 20-something provinces, but... You know, I'm really bad at uh, elementary school geography, <laughs> So, but it's 20-something. That's funny. That's really fun. Well, thank you for helping explain that. I know that uh, I am guilty of that as well because we talk, being in the wine business, we always talk about Mendoza wine, not necessarily Buenos Aires. Um, well, let's talk about Mendoza uh, in, in this terms of, you said, different soils, um, different sort of topography. How many, how, how many sub-regions are there in, around Mendoza? Yeah, so... You know, if you think of, of wine being made in Argentina, it goes north to south. So you go north all the way to Salta in the north. Then you go Mendoza kind of in the middle of the country. And then you go all the way down to Patagonia. And all the vineyards 
are in the foothills of the Andes Mountains. Because, you know, all the, the western part of Argentina is Andes Mountains. Right. So there's, there's vineyards from north to south. Mendoza makes between 70 and 80 percent of all the wine made in Argentina because it's kind of a sweet spot. You know, between the high altitude, which has these great alluvial soils and the cool climate and the sunlight, and then some of the lower altitude areas are used for making, you know, maybe a little more day-to-day drinking wines or some varieties like Bonarda that can withstand warmer climate. So Mendoza kind of has... There's a place in Mendoza where you can make every variety. There's a place where you can make sparkling wine, and there's a place where you can make, you know, really kind of sweet, ripe Syrah. So Mendoza is traditionally the region. It would kind of be like the the California for for the U.S. I don't don't know what percentage of the U.S. wine is made in California. Oh. You know? I want to say kind of 90%. I mean, oh, really? maybe it's 80%, oh, okay. and then you go New York okay, so, and Oregon and Washington. Yeah. But it's okay, a lot. So it's kind of similar. Yeah, because they yeah. got all that Central Valley, and it's nice and warm, and they can right, crop heavy right. and put it in, in yeah. boxes for $5, which Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of a similar situation. So, But in Mendoza, as you go up to the altitudes, you get the soils that are more poor, and this is something that I, I love to talk about because – you know, vines love to struggle. Um, you're not going to make a great wine in a very fertile soil. Uh, the more the vine struggles, I mean, if, if it struggles to the point where it's dying, it's not going to make great wine either. But when you have the vine between struggle and happy, that's when it makes the best grapes. And I actually have to say that I think people are the same. You know, if, you, if you're too comfortable, you kind of become a slacker. And then if you have too much pressure, then that's no good either. So so vines are like humans. You know, they, they have to struggle a little bit to be great. They like the sun, um, but not too much sun, right? Too much heat, I should say. Exactly, right, right. So um, so this region uh, by the Andes, and, and it's called Uco Valley, is the region that is kind of south of the city of Mendoza towards the mountains. It's the highest altitude. So that is the region where we think the best wines are coming from. It's a region that was very underdeveloped um, until my dad started planting there in the 1990s. All right, and, Laura, hold that you know, thought. We're going to go back to the 1990s. Yeah. We're going to take a little break, and uh, we'll be back with more of Dr. Laura Catena, Managing Director of Catena Zapata, right here on Happy Hour Radio. Two regular guys separated by 20 years and a full head of hair. Mark Lee and Van Camp. Weekdays 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. And you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Somalier, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to round two. Hope you got something tasty in your glass. And I've got the, the very wonderful, talented Laura Catena, Dr. Laura Catena, who is the managing director for Catena Zapata out of Mendoza, Argentina. And um, Laura was just sharing the story about uh, the 1990s and your father. Please continue. Yes. Yeah, so I started working with my father doing, you know, half medicine, half wine in the 1990s. And one of the first things I did was, you know, going around with a bottle of Catena Malbec to see if people would buy it. And I I would go to 10 accounts and people would drink the wine. Some would say, oh, I've never had a Malbec before. And then I remember one person who was really nice and I said to myself, oh, thank God, I finally made one sale 
And he said, oh, this wine is fantastic. I love it. But I can't buy it because people don't know what Malbec is, and I'm not going to be able to sell it. <laughs> so, you know, today, I think pretty much anybody that drinks wine has had a Malbec or knows about Malbec. Back then in the 90s, most people didn't know what Malbec was, even wine experts. Right. I agree. So, yeah. Um, we didn't see yeah, the Malbec from like Argentina that. coming into about really early 2000s, right? I mean, that's when we had this Absolutely. great wave. Yeah. And my dad, you know, it's kind of started early. And when I started working with my dad, you know, my dad said to me, listen, the best way to win customers is to make better wine than everybody else. It's all about the quality. And this has always stayed with me. So I said, how do we make wine better than everybody else at, at you know, at a lesser price? That's the whole point of value, right? Uh, but, you know, we were in the fine wine business. We didn't uh, sell cheap wine. My, my dad from day one said, I don't want to do what some other countries are doing. You know, Chile at that time was really focusing on the low end. Today they're not. They're making incredible high-end wines. But back then it was all about, you know, table wine. And my dad said, no, I want to make Argentine wines that can stand with the best of the world, that can sit, you know, in a blind tasting with first growths from France. That's what I want to do. And, you know, I fully embrace that. Uh, but the bottom line is nobody knew what Malbec it was. And so <laughs> the hard. first thing I did was, um, yeah, so I said, let's work on the Malbec selections. And this is a fascinating story because for 20 years, I've been reading old French history books to try to figure out what was the history of Malbec in France. And uh -huh. the bottom line is that Malbec was born 2,000 years ago. It was actually commented upon by the Romans when they walked through Gaul, through France. Mm -hmm. And then it was famous at the time of Eleanor of Aquitaine. And then in the, in the 18th and 19th century, you know, when all the first growths of, um, you know, Bordeaux, uh, the, you know, probably the most famous wines in the world were classified, Malbec was actually the most important variety in the Medoc. I found this in the Encyclopedia really? Britannica of 1875. Yeah. But if you were to ask most people today, they'd say Malbec is a minor grape. And you know why? Um, it's because they actually had global cooling in France back then. Oh, and so Malbec doesn't do well with very cold climate. We even have that problem in Argentina. You know, we are saved by the sunlight. But if, it's, if, it's, uh, if we have frost, it can destroy a whole vineyard. Oh, yeah, for sure. So they said, you know what, this is this delicate grape. The yields go way down when it's too cold. We're going to replace it with more Cabernet and Merlot. And this happened after Phylloxera, which was in the 1870s. But Malbec had already come to Argentina in the middle of the 19th century. And it just did so well. It made such beautiful wine that it got replanted and replanted. Oh. But then when my father started this project of, you know, making a, a, a world-class wine, of exporting Malbec, nobody knew about it. Uh, but we had to work on the quality. So what we found was that we had these Masal selections. So a Masal selection is a very diverse selection of Malbec that had been lost to the world, but which we still had in Argentina. And so we started oh. working on making a selection that was of high quality. You know, they've done a lot of work on um, Masal selections in Burgundy in France. Right. But, you know, in most of the world, a lot of these selections have been lost because they haven't been replanted. People have planted what we call clones, which is, you know, a copy of one plant. Right. So instead of planting, you know, uh, you know, a hundred different cuttings that are reproduced in one vineyard, you plant, you know, just one cutting and all the plants are of the same genetic material. It'd be like planting a vineyard that's all Laura Catena, you know, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, me and you know, all the people, uh, 
in, in Mendoza. You know, it's, it's yeah, the subtle differences concept, but... in different clones or different selections exactly. will add complexity and maybe counter different adverse effects of, of some weather, depending on where they were grown, and <laughs> makes total sense. And I was thinking, why would Malbec be popular in the Medoc? But I remember now, because in the region of Cahors, the black wine of Cahors was basically Malbec and some Tanat and Merlot. Yeah. And so that yeah. was the popular wine, so they probably just planted those grapes in the Medoc as well. You know, you... You've guessed history without perhaps knowing it. So what happened is that in, in Medoc, they would taste the wines of Cahors and they say, oh, wow, these wines have such structure and, and softness. Because the problem they had in Bordeaux was that the Cabernet, which they used to harvest really early, was very tannic. So in many of these books, it would mention, don't ever bottle a Cabernet alone. Always blend it with Malbec for softness. <laughs> and so I think that what happened is they went to Cahors, and there's actually some writing about that. And then they said, this stuff is really good. Let's plant it in the Medoc. So you're, you're actually right. That's what happened. So, so anyhow, so here we are in Argentina. I'm working on these selections of Malbec, and I'm finding, oh, my God, we have this richness, this diversity of Malbec. Um Let's work on it. Let's make the best selections of the best plants. And this is what we call the Catena cuttings, which we planted in all our vineyards. And then we also discovered the high-altitude areas, which have the cool climate, which makes wines that are elegant, mineral, with nice acidity. But then we have the sunlight that allows for slow ripening and texture and flavor. So, I mean, I really think that high-altitude Argentina, the Uca Valley, is heaven for wine and heaven for Malbec. And that's why I always invite people to come because, you know, most people think Argentina, it's a bunch of beaches and palm trees. And actually, you know, Brazil has much better beaches than Argentina. Um, Even Uruguay, you know, right next door. Yeah, Uruguay. Yeah, but we have this amazing mountain climate for making wine and until you see it it's almost hard to believe you know sometimes people have seen labels with mountains on them but until you're standing on a vineyard and you're looking at the snow right there next to you almost that you could step on it you don't understand why these wines are so flavorful so um you know, elegant, good in acidity, complex. Um, So, you know, my main message to people is that, you know, yes, Malbec is delicious. It's very drinkable. But Malbec can also make some very serious wines out of these terroirs. Uh, There's also some Malbec Cabernet blends. There's Torrontes. There's so many other varieties in Argentina that make really interesting wines. There's Chardonnay. Excellent. And you produce, uh, do you produce all of those varieties? You have, do you have some blended uh, Merlot ca- or Malbec cabs? Do you have a Torontes? Yeah, yes. So we have a wine that actually has my dad's name, Nicolás Catena Zapata. Oh, that's Catena's right. Catena's his father's name, Zapata's his mom's name. That's a blend of Cabernet and Malbec. And I always say that, you know, this is the blend that was really famous in the world in the 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, but, you know, we can only make it in, in Argentina now. Um, so And this blend is delicious. It ages really well. And then we have a vineyard called Adriana Vineyard, which is a 5,000 feet elevation, which I consider, you know, our best vineyard uh, that has several parcels that uh, are, we bottle separately. So there's the Fortuna parcel, the Mundus parcel, the River Stone. And then we have these two white Chardonnays that come from that vineyard. One is called White Bones, one White Stones. And those wines, (laughs) all these wines from Adriana have gotten incredibly high ratings. We actually just had this year our first two 100-point Parker wines. Wow, really? 
which was a big deal. That's a huge yeah. deal. I know that for Washington State, yeah. we were all jumping up and down when it happened for Colcita Creek, and multiple times yeah. it's fantastic. I've had the Nicholas, and that's a fantastically rich and well-built wine. Um, and I, I understand yeah. that Adriana is your sister, who's also a doctor, a PhD. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Fun. She's a doctor of history. So, so okay. So you were actually asking me before about this new label. So, um, you know, I wanted to tell the history of Malbec everything that I just told you. And I called my sister who has a PhD from Oxford in history. And I said, Hey, I want to tell this story. Give me, you know, give me some help. Help me with this. And she said, listen, we talk to people through our wine. Um, You know, you could travel the whole world 20 times. You're not going to reach enough people. You need to tell the story on a label. So we came up with this label with what we call the four women of Malbec, Eleanor of Aquitaine, the immigrant to Argentina who represents my great-grandmother who came from Italy, then Phylloxera, who is an insect, but <laughs> you might not know this, but Phylloxera mostly exists in the female form. The silver-wing silver sharpshooter, isn't it? Yeah, but, but, you, but you can't, um, it's an aphid, uh, but you almost never see the males, and that's why they couldn't get rid of it, because they couldn't understand the reproductive cycle. So even the, the villain in the story is female. And then the fourth woman is actually my sister on the label, and she wanted to be me, but I kind of, you know, use the older sister prerogative, and it's her. Ah, very good. Um, so, so that's that's a wine that we've been making for a while, but it has a new label for 2015. It's called Malbec Argentino, and actually, if you want to see the coolest video ever, it's on www.malbecargentino.com. And it's about the story of Malbec and the label. Wow, that is a fantastic uh, story. Uh, so exciting. I will check out the video online at uh, MalbecArgentino.com. And um, I look forward to seeing you. I've never been to the S- South America, so this is on uh, I'm plan maybe 2020. I'll be able to head down there. Yeah, you have to come. Will you be at Vin Expo in Hong Kong, uh, in Bordeaux at all? I will. I will, actually. I will you see you there. there I've already got my tickets planned. Oh, excellent. All right, Laura. What a treat. Great to reconnect with you. I look forward to seeing you, and uh, best of the rest of the year for you. Um, And thank you so much for joining me in Happy Hour Radio. And and hello to everybody in Seattle and to you, Christopher. Thank you so much. Ciao. Hey, folks, stick around. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound. Welcome back to uh, round three. I hope you got something taste in your glass. And I hope you enjoyed that interview with Laura Catena. Quite interesting how uh, her Italian heritage uh, took her to Argentina in the wine business. But we're going to go back to Italy and uh, specifically Emilio Romano, which uh, is a fantastic food, uh, one of the food states here in Italy and known for um, balsamic of balsamic vinegar and... Um, Parma cheese and so many good things. I am fortunate to have um, a chance to really dive into balsamic vinegar. It's kind of one of those things that we all know what it tastes like, but there's so many options, so many offerings, and there's condimento, there's DOP, IGP, or POPGI. Um, but I've got a gentleman, uh, we're actually calling Italy right now. He is named uh, Federico Desimoni, and he is the managing director of the Consortium of uh, Balsamic Vinegar of Modena. Uh, the original, and I am pleased to welcome uh, Federico uh, Bongiorno. 
Buongiorno. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> I'm well. I'm so pleased that we have a chance to talk because balsamic vinegar is, is always one of those special condiments or special additions that has a unique flavor and really adds complexity and deliciousness to a variety of foods. But let's talk about you. How long have you been involved with balsamic vinegar? I'm working in the consortium of balsamic vinegar of Modena since nineteen thirty two thousand and thirteen, sorry. <laughs> so, For a moment there I thought you were you were super old. You would be ninety two, I think, or something ninety I guess it would be. Uh well congratulations. Five years. Did you have a history in food or agriculture prior to this position? Yes, I, I worked for fifteen years fifteen years in the consortium of Parmaham. Ah. So I'm coming from Ham and going to Vinegar. Excellent. Well, we I had the pleasure of uh, enjoying a uh, Parma cheese and Parma ham um, uh, seminar tasting uh, just several months ago here in Seattle. So it's my pleasure to, to round it out with balsamic vinegar. Let's talk about what the consortium does. Yes, the, the consortium, uh, first of all, is an association of producers and uh, delegate from Ministry of Agriculture in Italy, uh, in order, and uh, the consortium has public public functions, two kind of public functions. Uh, the main two activities are the protection of the brand, the name, the product, and the second is communication, promotion, and educational activity, uh, helping people around the world to know better the product. So. Uh, protect and uh, and promote the product. These are the main tasks of the consortium. That makes sense. And how long is the cons- when was the consortium founded? In 1993. Okay. Well, how about that? That's uh, 25 years or so. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and long, a long way. Long uh, way. Has the consortium grown in terms of membership or in terms of reach to uh, throughout the world? Yeah. Yeah. In 1993, there was. Uh, close to 10 companies uh, inside this uh, consortium, this association. Now we are close to 50, and uh, and also our budget are increasing. Um, we are increasing the activity we, we are doing for our associated and for our product. So it, it's developing, it's developing, it's gradually developing, uh, uh, both in, uh, for the activity in, in the European um, at European level, but also uh, at uh, international level. So we are working a lot in the U.S., for example, and in the future we will see. But uh, because our production is f- more than 90% of our production is exported outside Italy, and more than 50 outside Europe. So our business is half and half, half in Europe and half outside Europe. Wow, excellent. And um, I understand that there's some history to this uh, special vinegar. Um, let's talk about when it was first mentioned in, in historical writings, and, and give me a little backdrop on the history of balsamic vinegar of Modena. Yeah, uh, the product, I mean, we are around around uh, 1,000 years ago in this area, the area of Modena and Emilia is a province that is uh, close to Modena. There was this kind of product, but at that time, but at that time, the name was a different one, uh, just a special vinegar. Uh, they started in, in Modena, started to to use this designation, this name, balsamic vinegar of Modena, around 300 years ago. 
so we are a very we have a lot very long uh, long story beyond us and uh, they still continue to use the same name in the centuries and in and uh, until now i mean the starting from 300 years ago the product has been almost the same and also the name Interesting. Well, they say that imitation is uh, one of the highest forms of flattery. And I know there. it seems that there are a whole host of ubiquitous products called balsamic vinegar. What is real balsamic vinegar and what might be construed as not authentic? Yeah, uh, the way to recognize authentic is, is very simple because uh, it's the name. The name. Uh, generally speaking, when you find simply a balsamic vinegar, it means that it's not balsamic vinegar from Modena. <laughs> and so the, the authentic one is the one from Modena, the authentic recipes, the original one, sure. And uh, if you find product with a different designation without the, the name, the reference to the name Modena, uh, you, you know it's not the, the authentic one. We have another, now, in the last years, we have another way to 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 find out the, the authentic one is it's a seal uh, it's a, a seal an European seal is a round seal uh, the color are yellow and blue uh, inside the seal uh, there is this designation P, PGI protected geographical indication so if you if you see this kind of seal on the label you you are sure it's the authentic one. Well, excellent. I'm pleased because I have three little bottles of balsamic vinegar Modena uh, with the yellow-blue uh, Protezione Geografica Indicazione. So um, these are the real yeah, this deals. This is the Italian version. This is the Italian version. <laughs> it means protective designation of origin. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, actually, I just spoke it in the Italian. You know, I'm a wine guy, so this makes total sense. So uh, a wine vinegar, um, obviously this balsamic vinegar of Modena is made from grapes, and specifically wine grapes. What grapes go into the production? Sorry, excuse, didn't hear Which, the question. What grapes do you use, are used for the production of balsamica vinegar de Modena? Okay. We, we, have an, uh, we have seven kind, varieties of grapes, and um, the main three are uh, Lambrusco, for sure, because it's the grape of uh, the area of Modena. It's Sangiovese, Trebbiano are the most known. Also, Sangiovese and Trebbiano are typical from Emilia-Romagna, the area where Modena is based. And, and more, we have very, very little uh, varieties uh, of this area called Ancelotta, called Fortana, and Montuni. These are the other uh, varieties of grapes, but these are very, very, very little and very close and linked to this uh, specific area. Wonderful. Now, the, main, the main one is the Lambrusco grape. Okay. Good to know. I always thought it was Trebbiano, but it's good to ha to speak with you. The uh, Federico Desimoni, who is the managing director of the Consortium of Balsamic Vinegar of Modena uh, Companies, which represents 50 companies throughout the world to uh, keep their the integrity of the products and also promote uh, the use and celebration of this 1,000-year-old uh, condiment. Now, there are two versions. There is a condimento, and then there is... What's the other one? This is the two kind of balsamic vinegar of Modena. is the H1 and the, the product not H that is called Classico, more or less. Got it, Classico. Uh, the main difference is the aging period. So we have a kind of balsamic vinegar of Modena that is matured a few months in wooden barrel, 
but in big wooden barrel, and this is not aged, it's a fresh product, used for a certain kind of use or recipes, very, very fresh, very aromatic, and we have another kind, more uh, round, more full body, more uh, thick, that is uh, the aged one. In this case, the, the aging period has to be not less than three years. Uh, and it happened in uh, Barik, so little wooden barrel. Excellent. Well, this is really fun. So I have three bottles here, and one of the keys to the process is actually cooking the the grape must, right? The seeds, the skins, the, yeah. the pips, the, and, and that helps create this uh, complexity of flavor and sort of the weight and uh, thickness of this particular vinegar. Is that right? Yeah, this is the heart of the question. Uh, our product is uh, is a blend of wine vinegar and a cooked grape mask. And so, but the cooked grape mask is um, the main ingredient. So the ingredient that gives this kind of uh, characteristic and complexity to the product. And the cooking, the cooking of the grape mask is a very important step of the process, productive process. Hey, Federico, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, um, I want to hear more about the production method, and then we'll try sampling some of these three balsamic vinegars. Hey, folks, it's Federico Desimoni, the Managing Director of Consortium Balsamic Vinegar of Medina, and I am Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio. Stick around. We'll be right back here on 570 Two regular guys separated by 20 years and a full head of hair. Mark Lee and Van Camp. Weekdays 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. And you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to our fourth and final segment. I have the pleasure of calling Italy live right here, speaking with Federico Desimoni, who's the managing director of the Consortium of Balsamic Vinegar of Modena. Uh, the original, that is. And so, Federico, you were just talking about the two kinds, classico and aged, and, and how special the process is to, to cooking the musk. Please continue. So, uh, what I was saying is that this type of productive process uh, of the cooking of the mast is very important because the great cooked grape mast is the main ingredient, is the ingredient that gives the complexity and the personality to to our product. So it's, it's made on fire and uh, in open part, and uh, so there is characteristic way to do so. But it's very important because it gives to the product the thickness and the, the body and the complexity. So it's it's a very important part of the production. It makes sense because I know when, uh, as a chef, you would uh, cook certain things quickly or very slowly, like in uh, barbecue here in the United States, everything is low and slow. Is the process for cooking the uh, the must for balsamic vinegar Modena, is that a quick process or is it like a stewing or a very slow, like gravy no, you're trying to make? Very, it's very slow. Have to be very slow, not high, very high temperature, uh, with a, an open in an open uh, box, uh, and you have to promote this kind of uh, evaporation of the, the the water in the um, blending. I get it. So if you you lose you lose the vin the vinegar part, and you maintain the the grape part, the mass the part of the mass, and so. This is the one with more flavor, more sweetness. 
and so the vinegar part is the more aesthetic part. And so if you will try the, both the two kinds, you will find these kind of differences. One is more close to vinegar taste, and, and the other one, the age is more close to the, 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 the grape must. The must. Excellent. Well, I've, I've got three samples here. We're going to try two. I have the um, balsamic vinegar of Modena, the red label, which you termed as Classico. So I'm going to taste this one first. What am I looking for in a Classico balsamic vinegar of Modena? The main characteristic you are looking for in this kind of product is the aroma. You will find more freshness, more acidity, and uh, more uh, variety, uh, aroma of grape variety, varieties. So it's is good for this kind of product. Is good for salad. Good for the also the people that that love strong flavor, strong aroma, and less sweet. And uh, is good when you eat uh, fat food because this uh, aesthetic and this freshness uh, help you to to have a, a more clean uh, mouth and uh, help you to to digest better this kind of heavy uh, heavy food. Um, and you, you have to tell me. So you test. Uh, if you taste it, you can, uh, you can try to to describe it, and so we can. We can talk. Excellent. So I did just take a taste of the uh, Classico, the red label balsamic vinegar Modena, and my first impression was this. Um, this stewed cherry meets a raisin meets um, a, a very Meyer lemon. So the acid is is high, but it's not white vinegar sharp. It's actually a very rounded acidity because I believe you've got a moderate sweetness in this particular uh, version, expression of balsamic vinegar. So uh, it's it's, bas- it's basically sweet but savory and lots of uh, roasted flavors and caramelized flavors. I think it's delicious. Um, I think salads would be great. I'm going to take a taste of the aged one because we got and just... this caramel- caramelized flavor is... Uh is the fruit of the reduction on fire, so the cooking uh, part of the, the, the cooking process of the great mass. This is the, the main characteristic that, that this uh, cook, uh, cooking activities, processing, give to the final product. And right. it's a very characteristic taste and aroma of our product. Yes, and I just took a taste of the aged balsamic, and this is very harmonized. This one tastes like it's it's purely a, a full-bodied expression. It has this, it has a little more sweetness, but it has unctuousness, and it's it's um, very ripe, and it's it's cooked, but it's not feeling overly cooked. I like no, this it's one. extra cook. Maintain <laughs> freshness and maintain acidity. Because also in this second one, the acidity, as in the first, cannot be less than 6%. So we have in every, in every product a very high level of acidity. But in this case, the aging period and also the thickness of the product give more, more balance and from between acidity, freshness, and, and sweetness. So... And this kind of product can be paired also with uh, with risotti, with uh, tagliata, with uh, meat, uh, with uh, uh, with fish, maybe like salmon. But I love on dessert like ice cream or <laughs> chocolate cake. I love it. 
Federico Desimoni, the managing director of the Consortium of uh, Balsamic Vinegar. Medina, thank you so much for sharing this beautiful condiment and uh, your time on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you very much. Hey, folks, that's a great show. Remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.